Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the MLS Soccer Show with Cal and Crean. I am your co-host Tim Crean. With me as always, the Cal of Cal and Crean, Mike Calandrillo. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm not in South Carolina like some people are. I am I on am vacation. Good. That's right, on vacation, but still taking the time to talk MLS. And uh, he loves you. Uh, he loves everyone out there. If he's in South Carolina and he still wants to talk soccer, that's that's some some hard sweat. Some sweaty man in South Carolina. Yeah, and really, I'm just I'm just happy that in South Carolina, I am closer to my beloved Nashville SC uh, with Walker Zimmerman, of course, our special, very special guest today, CJ Sapong, the uh, forward for Nashville. We will get into that interview in just a second. But first, Mike, we're only going to do one week deep dive today before we talk to CJ. Let's talk about that 2-1 win at Sporting Kansas City that Nashville pulled off this weekend with, of course, CJ scoring the late game-winning goal to uh, take the three points. I mean, you're coming on the MLS soccer show, you got to score a goal. I mean, that's just the way we roll here. And um, so anybody else that comes on, you got you to pull your weight. But Nashville owns a 16-win, zero-loss, and five-draw all-time record when scoring two or more goals in a match. Tim, what have we been saying since we started this show? If you're gonna ha- if you're gonna win games, you got to score, and we've been saying that for Nashville. And look, it's exactly correct. what it's right there. I mean, it's it's an Andrew thing. It's like, hey, if you want to win, you got to score. So it's really that simple. Dave Romney scored his second goal with Nashville, his fifth in MLS all time. Um, it's not a ton of goals, but he's also not a goal scorer. He did make a uh, team of the week. Uh, and look, both of those those goals this year have come on the road, which is important i mean road wins are, are just as important if not sometimes more so um and romney played all 90 minutes and was the only nashville sc outfield player to have played every minute in 2022 so that that's pretty impressive i mean it's gonna get hotter we're gonna see how that's going to affect most of the players uh especially in my neck of the woods uh but it is uh it is something to behold uh as you said our special guest cj sapong put away uh the the game winner in the 68th minute with a poacher's chance little hurricane for action uh he now leads the team with two goals on the young season lots and lots to come hopefully this is a breakout opportunity for the nashville hot chickens to really do their thing on offense because that's what they need uh hany mukhtar earned his second assistant tonight um romney's goal after feeding leal to begin the set piece mukhtar now has uh, three assists on the season in consecutive matches and four in his last five he actually finished the last season with uh, second in MLS assist, which was something that I didn't even realize at the time. He has 20 all-time uh, on his credit to uh, to MLS play. And, and for me, Tim, there was a lot of tidbits from this game. Um, they handed SKC its first home loss of the season. Uh, Nashville is the only team in the Western Conference to have earned three road wins. I mean, these are these are really important stats. Nashville earned its first ever result against Sporting Kansas City. They scored two goals in a match for the first time this season. I've recorded a, a season-high 19 shots. And, of course, it wouldn't be an MLS soccer show without a Walker Zimmerman update. He Not only did he wear the captain's armband, but he led the team in touches with 72 and total passes with 67. Uh, all in all, a fantastic outing for Nashville. I mean, they, they did what they had to. They scored. They played good defense as usual. And the only thing I'll say about SKC, and we talked about this on past shows, they're headed in the wrong direction. They have only completed – again, it's early. 20% of the season is gone. Uh, take that for what it's worth, but they're averaging 0.86 points per game. Uh, that's not even a goal, guys. That That's a problem. So if they continue at that pace, it will be their lowest mark since 1999 when you were just four years old. So that is – that's not true, guys. I'm joking. But um, the one team going in the right direction, another team going in the wrong direction, Tim. Yeah, and this was this was Nashville at their best. I mean, this is why uh, they're once again my uh, pick to win the Western Conference uh, for now. But uh, they were fantastic. They were they played their strong defense. Walker Zimmerman was great at the back. He controlled uh, the game. Ellis was great in goal, and then they got contributions from Mukhtar, from CJ Sapong. They they the counterattack looked strong. They capitalized on their chances. They they weren't wasteful up front. And that's the formula for Nashville to win. That's the formula for Nashville to get back in the playoffs. And honestly, the formula for them to dominate in the playoffs possibly and get back or get to the MLS Cup. And, you know, we'll you'll see the interview with CJ in a minute, but he mentioned, you know, they struggled in March, but they've they've had a lot of away games. They have a great away record so far, but they've had a lot of away games in the end. And that's gonna be a great thing come the back end of the season when they're fighting for a playoff spot. They're currently in seventh right now in the final playoff spot. When they're fighting for that spot and the people have to come to Nashville 
eat the hot chicken, see the hot chickens on the pitch, that is going to be a problem. And, uh, and Nashville is really, really good. They are. And who makes these schedules? I'm so confused. Yeah. Eight away games? I mean, in a, like, who, who, who? For a Southern team, too. Take the away games away from the Canadian teams and stuff in March right. and the freezing cold in Minnesota, yeah, you know? Makes, makes no sense. We got we got Montreal playing in a dome because <laughs> it's too cold outside. We've got, the, you know, Yankee stadiums being used. I, I don't understand what's going on, but let, let, let's stop picking names out of a hat and let's actually put some focus into this, you know, in 2023 and beyond. That's a great idea. So uh, let's pick a one name out of a hat, though, for our special guest here, our interview, CJ Sapong. We'll talk to him right now. All right, we are very excited to welcome CJ Sapong to the show. Originally selected by Sporting Kansas City in the 2011 MLS Super Draft, he made 34 appearances during that rookie season, scored five goals, added five assists and made his way to the 2011 MLS Rookie of the Year Award in four years in in Kansas City, Sapong brought home the 2013 MLS Cup, the 2012 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. CJ now enters year number two with Nashville SC, and after scoring 12 goals in 2021 and being named Nashville's 2021 Offensive Player of the Year, he is on a two-goal bender right now uh, after this weekend. CJ, welcome to the MLS Soccer Show. What's up, man? Thank you. Uh, happy to be here, and thank you for making me sound a little cool there <laughs> absolutely anytime mike what do you got for cj here yeah no cj you did that all yourself so we appreciate you i mean a man that's got over uh 22, minutes in major league soccer and 85 goals uh there's not much we need to write down that you haven't already done so again thanks so much for coming on the show love it happy to be here awesome so Last year, big year for the club. Uh, he finished third in the East, 54 points. Expectations in Nashville this year, obviously uh, kind of hitting a, a fever pitch as as, uh, as we watch, you know, the, the season kind of unfold. Um, you know, even though you're in a new conference this year, you're a veteran guy, you've been around. How has the locker room responded to reaching the quarterfinals last season? Yeah, well, the standard has been set. Nashville, since its inception, has held itself in a high regard when it came to not just on the field tactics and um, execution, but also front office, off the field, community engagement, you know, for a player uh, like me that's been in the league for a, a little bit of time, you know, it's, it's cool to see that there's a autonomy and a, and a harmony that this club is trying to move through with, with all its departments and, all those things and those concepts, they definitely filter all the way down to us players where, you know, every single day we're out training, every game day, there is a, a bit of a chip on the shoulder and there's a sense of pride in which, you know, we, we uh, approach the game and, and we try to, you know, maximize that from the opening whistle for sure. Cool. And so, you know, digging into this season, season, CJ, uh, you guys went through a tough March, 0-2-1, but you've turned around nicely in April. Back-to-back -back wins now. You're in seventh place, the final playoff position. And this weekend, you scored a huge game-winning goal against your old club, Sporting Kansas City. Uh, in these last two wins, what have you guys found offensively that you can build on moving forward? Uh, well, I think we found that sometimes uh, aggressive defense is the best offense. I think mm -hmm. with our just the way the schedule has turned out for us, it's – I think going to be a blessing in disguise. We've had eight away games to start the season. This obviously means we're going to have a more home heavy uh, schedule for the remainder of the season. However, it's tough to take into account all the different bits of adversity that you're going to have to deal with when you're playing in different environments, different uh, temperature, uh, altitude is a factor sometimes. And maybe the first couple games are approach was essentially don't lose the game we we always felt like we would have an opportunity and yeah we knew we would have to execute but ultimately we wanted to stay uh connected from the front line to the back line and didn't want to give away anything easy whereas i feel like us understanding okay there is a an aspect of of our team there's many aspects of our team that other teams have to deal with regardless, no matter where we are. And if we put those players in positions to be able to be aggressive, uh, it starts asking more questions of the other team. And 
it's it's not a situation where they can just be you know have the home their home feel their home uh fans you know cheering them on as they're as we're just taking wave after wave of attack it's something where they have to now be a little more conscientious when they move forward because they're opening up spaces in behind for players like Hani and Randall to get the ball and then me you know leading the line always having you know a physical presence they now have way more things to deal with and I think us having the confidence to uh, uh, implement that strategy in games is has shown well for the last two games and I think moving forward it's going to be uh, a force that a lot of teams will have to definitely deal with yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot to deal with when Nashville uh, when you come to Nashville as as an MLS team. You know, you mentioned aggressive defense. You mess you met you mentioned physicality. Uh, Nashville's known for a hard nosed, organized defensive style. You have uh, USMNT center back Walker Zimmerman back there. You have keeper Joe Willis and his fantastic mustache back there. Uh, yeah. You know, what's it like as a forward to play on a team with that kind of mentality versus maybe other teams you've played on in the past with a more free flowing offensive approach? Yeah, so, I mean, just like you mentioned, we've got stalwarts in many different positions. You know, I like to say we have a very strong spine of the team, whereas we also have a very creative and useful uh, set of extremities as well. You know, and a lot of teams will focus on simply just the spine and, you know, believe that that'll be all that's really necessary to keep, you know, a foundational structure intact but like i said we have many and obviously people don't see all the guys on the roster you know every game but you know the competition that we have at every position the way players that are not getting a lot of time uh compete in training and really challenge other players we have a very a very um aligned mentality in the way we approach things and then we also have creative players that you know, if given an opportunity, can just create something out of nothing. No, that's, that's super impressive. And before we get into the the next step of the international level, I gotta say, CJ, um, you know, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, Tim is is the president of the Walker Zimmerman uh, fan club here, so we talk about <laughs> it on a weekly basis. So, is there something uh, something about Walker not getting personal? Is there something that makes him a good teammate? Something that you, as a leader, can can bring out of him, or something that makes him such a distinct uh, dominant center back in, in MLS play? Because Tim just needs all this fodder to get him through the week. That's true. Honestly, it doesn't matter what Walker does with his hair. Like, I think he gets he could get away with anything. Just kidding. It's like now he he pulled he took his bun out yesterday at our open training and had the fans going crazy. It was it was quite glorious. That would have been awesome. Quite, quite yeah. a glorious mane. Sorry, um, I missed that. Yeah, yeah Tim got, but Tim got nervous just thinking about it. So. <laughs> it, it was a sight to see. Awesome. But uh, no, in, in all seriousness, his mentality. His approach every day in training, the competitive aspect, it's really cool to want to work for your teammates. And, you know, even in the lead up to him getting called into qualifications, you know, there was a sense of pride that guys had every time they stepped on the field, knowing that he had an opportunity to represent, you know, his country. And we all were rooting for him. And when you have a guy that put so much into the game and then also off the field is so willing to help younger players uh, bring different concepts into, you know, your psyche, just an all around good person. That's also a beast on the field. Again, when you're, and then you add the glorious locks, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to not love him and not want the best for him. And then also not want to perform to the highest of your ability uh, to make him look good too. Nice. Oh, absolutely. Beautiful sentiment. Perfect segue. We, let's get into the international stuff. You were there. You've got four caps to your name. You received your first invite to the team's uh, January camp in 2012. You made your debut uh, for the men's national team against uh, Venezuela in a friendly, earning your second cap just four days later in a substitute appearance against Panama. Then in 2017, you got your uh, another nod against uh, Portugal. Never an easy team to face, but you, you racked up an assist in a 1-1 draw. Now you've worn the Stars and Stripes you understand how important it is for soccer in this country to 
qualify for the World Cup in Qatar. Um, what are, as an outsider, but a guy that understands exactly what it takes, what have you seen out of Burhalter's bunch that's really impressed you thus far? Well, I think we're now just being able to really see the benefit of youth players being able to uh, insert themselves in systems in Europe and to be able to develop at high levels, to be playing at high levels uh, day in, day out. And then it's, it's happening at a great time where the American system is developing to the point where, again, you have insights and tactics from Europe that are being implemented here at an early age. You have a stronger uh, youth development academy system. So now you're being able to see players thrive in MLS and players thrive abroad and then being able to put those pieces together to field, you know, our best possible team. It's we're at the precipice of something amazing for U.S. soccer. And I personally feel pretty honored to be able to witness this kind of growth and the rapid nature of the growth as well. Um, it's, it will definitely get to like fever pitch when, you know, the World Cup is here. But I think it, it was so big for uh, these guys to get this qualification this round. They'll be able to go out and a lot of youngsters are going to get, you know, firsthand experience. But also with an understanding that now whatever happens in this World Cup, the, the one that I know everybody's going to be waiting for and has their eyes set on is going to be 2026. And yeah. mm-hmm. that's going to be so cool for all of us to, you know, witness something amazing in our backyard, really. Um, I, I just love seeing young youngsters and some veteran players all throughout the American soccer system get call-ups and, you know, show their stuff. It, it just shows how deep of a pool we have. And that's not something that U.S. soccer could could have said 10 years ago, you know. No, definitely. And I'm so glad you brought that up about MLS, the level of play. Because you look at guys like Walker and you, Kellen Acosta's and now the Jesus Ferreira's. And, you know, we could go on. And, and Tim and I always talk about how, you know, there's that thin line between being able to play in Europe. And that's the key word is play. It's great to be there. It's great to... Mm-hmm. You know, be a guy like Zach Steffen and, and practice with the Pep Guardiola's of the world and take, you know, first team reps and, and all of that. But it's also a different thing to get game action like like a Matt Turner had been doing. And now he's going to be going to Arsenal in the summer. You know, I, I'm curious to get your perspective, because I I almost believe that it's just as important, if not more, to play day in and day out to get those reps constantly. Um, but then you look at, you know, across the pond the, at the Pulisics and, you know, the rain is and, you know, they're in Champions League and that's awesome. But, you know, they're not necessarily playing every game. So from a guy that that does it day in and day out, where do you kind of draw that line as a, you know, what is there something that kind of lends itself to being a little bit more important? Is it playing? Is it playing against the best competition? Does, is there any real difference to, to one or the other as a player? I think it's just adversity playing day in, day out in a country where there's not a lot of challenge and, you know, you're held in a high regard and you never have to worry about your position getting taken away. is not the same as being at a top club that's playing in champions league. And you don't necessarily know every week that you're going to start the game or that you're going to get into the game. So you have to bring a certain tenacity to your training um, every day. And then also when you do get to represent your country and you're wearing you know, that crest, like you're going to be a little hungrier and you're, you're going to want to really perform and show to a lot of different people, you know, everybody has their own motivations that you deserve to be there and not only just be there, but, you know, perform at a high level to, you know, bring uh, glory, you know, to your country. Oh, no, beautiful. That, that's what we that's what we're hoping for. And that's what we're that's what we're thinking is going to happen, you know, this November in Qatar. Anything that you'd like to see from this team uh, as they've got some friendlies lined up, you know, leading up to to kick off in the World Cup? Anything you, you'd love to see Burhalter implement or try that we haven't seen thus far through the qualification process? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that is tough for us here in this country is being inundated with so many various opportunities to succeed or grow, you know, having a, a sports infrastructure where soccer maybe is not, you know, the highest uh, on the on the totem pole. 
we're going against countries that it's for generations soccer has been the number one sport and there's a certain passion that comes with that and you know while i know it's tough and um it's you can't mimic the you know certain environments that other players in other countries come up in i think us as a whole as a team and every player individually being able to find like a root um uh just passion that extends beyond you know looking good and and sounding good and being fresh like i love all those dudes like they're all fresh all cool <laughs> you know but it doesn't match you know a guy in argentina that came up through the slums playing with a soccer ball made out of rubber bands or something you know so i i just implore them to really dig deep and try to find some aspect of their upbringing where you know relative to them was a challenge you know and then really channel that energy so that when they're on the field there's they feel like they're fighting for more than just themselves you know fighting for a country fighting for you know people of this country or you know what whatever floats their boat in that regard but besides that the talent is there the physical ability is there it's all it's going to take is the, the passion, the mental, mental aspect of it. I love it. Well, hopefully we'll see that, that passion, that mental aspect come November here. Yes, yes, that, that is the key. But there's so much more going on in the world of, of CJ Sapong. You're extremely busy outside of football. You're the founder of Sacred Seeds, a nonprofit organization that creates programming and resources to expose underprivileged communities to the power of self-sustaining agriculture and the importance of nutrition to the body's essential functions. You also currently serve as an executive board member for the Black Players for Change, a coalition of MLS players of color galvanized to bring attention and impact to grassroots communities and help lower barriers your entry in the game of soccer in addition your work in the nonprofit world and desire to help the next generation of professional athletes is absolutely outstanding i have to say uh, especially through social sports first of all where do you get the energy from and the time because i i can't imagine i'm exhausted with a two-year-old daughter so kudos mm -hmm. to you, sir. and and if you could tell us you know where did the idea for her sacred seeds come from you know how did this get started you know and, and why has it become a passion project for you yeah so it's very interesting because kind of the end bit of that last segment um where i found myself in a position that i'm trying to say that i hope the national team players don't find their, themselves in where i was playing soccer and i was having i in what four years of playing soccer i didn't necessarily have the success that i wanted but a lot of people were like expressing how successful i was and yet there wasn't there wasn't a fulfillment really that I was feeling. I, I still found myself being extra critical of myself and wondering if like I was truly bringing uh, value to myself and people around me. And, you know, it all formulated from me going through my relative dark times. And that was simply just getting a concussion and really having to like, uh, question if I would even be able to continue to play soccer. You know, it was a pretty bad concussion. Uh, it led to, I had a broken jaw as well. So uh, it was a, a time where I found myself reflecting and, you know, looking at all these things. And, you know, the aspect of health and wealth of communities and the opportunity to build the capacity of a community, you know, that's something that I, I immediately felt like, okay, if I can use soccer to fuel something like that, I'll get my own personal uh, fulfillment by being able to master my craft. But then I'm ensuring that after soccer, I'm not going to lose, lose out on any more abilities to gain that, that purpose. Um, and so that led to the starting of Sacred Seeds in 2017. Uh, it was about a year and a half after I was in after getting traded from Kansas City and it was a lot of work it was a lot of work I I googled I you know took courses I set up the QuickBooks I did all the transactions uh, the organizational charts and you know in my head I just told myself it's better that I 
go through this, at least the beginning process myself so that, again, I know after soccer, I'm not just like, you know, dropped off in, in some prairie land and have no idea how to find my way home, yeah. you know? Um, sure. And through that process, whew, Lots of ups and downs, lots of lots of uh, testing of my uh, internal vigor, but also a lot of confirmation of like my personal moral compass, my personal value and belief system. And I'm at a point now where my nonprofit, my businesses, my home are all aligned with a set of values that essentially is just to maximize the potential of me myself my family and all humanity you know so it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool for me it, it makes it a little easier to put the work in uh but at this point you know i shout out to wifey because she definitely helps a lot like me getting on calls like this you know keeping the kids uh sorted however i'm at the point now where i've ideated so much that i've begin begun to start creating my own team and finding people that are professionals in all these different aspects, you know, of organizations that surely I wouldn't be able to do all by myself anyway. Yeah. So yeah, now 12 years as a professional athlete, I'm very excited to continue my career, but then I'm also excited to transition from it because, you know, the pieces are in place and I'll be more of an advisory and de uh, directorial role if you will. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you've obviously done the work, you know, trials and tribulations, and you've come out the other side, you know, so much stronger from it. Um, you know, I, uh, kudos to you. It's, it's really awesome. And how can people get involved with Sacred Seeds? Um, you know, give us the website, you know, and, and anything that, that we can do to either donate or give our time. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there would love to get involved. Yeah, for sure. So the easiest way is just to go to sacredseeds.org. That's the sacredseeds.org. Uh, you'll be able to, you know, find our donation link uh, over there. Uh, a big thing right now, though, I'm I'm learning is to essentially, as opposed to just always asking for money, which believe me, we need your money because it is a, a tough task to not not only like have or uh, implement concepts that are just not familiar in these communities but to consistently consistently be able to find the resources, maintain those resources so that it actually provides like a measurable difference. It's a, it's a task that I can safely say I did not fully understand and comprehend when I first started. Uh, however, a network is also valuable as well. A lot of people have different friends, uh, people in their uh, inner circle that are doing things that can help and when you look at sustainability and uh circular economies there's so many aspects to that and sometimes it's content creation sometimes it's data and analytics you know and all these little areas that can give us just a a little bit more of um, a head start in you know accomplishing our goal of truly building the capacity of underserved communities through the education and cultivation of, you know, clean, healthy, organic food that uh, is also part of a process that allows income to be generated and recycled through these communities as well. This is how you build people from the grassroots level. This is why it's called Sacred Seeds. Um, and it's through the uh, reaching out of the roots and the connection of the roots that the foundation of the plants and the trees are solid uh, to be able to grow and reach the light, you know. Yeah, that sounds great, the, the work you're doing there. And again, you can find that at thesacredseeds.org. Uh, but lastly, CJ, you're not just a philanthropist. You're a businessman, too. Uh, you are the co-founder of Social Sports, which is a client-driven athlete management and representation company. And, you know, I saw an interview I think you did last year with Bustin' with the Boys where you said, you know, plenty of athletes are happy just to hold up a random plot product, smile for the camera, cash that check. Uh, but what you guys do with social sports is different. And with what you do, are you finding that the younger athletes today 
care more than athletes in the past about connecting on a personal level with the brands they represent, with the companies they get involved with, even with the type of platforms they engage on? It's actually the opposite. Now we have social media at a level where you can, not easily, you can find a niche and uh, almost narrow your opportunity for growth by simply focusing on, you know, what's trendy, you know, or gaining clout. Uh, And the way that actually provides a little bit more of a hurdle for us in particular, but for the overall growth of these young players is on that social media as well, is more and more information of the people that are doing it, you know, doing it, or that have the things that they want, you know, so now, you know, a 16 year old kid, if a team's academy approaches him and tells him, hey, so like, we'll pay for you to come to this academy, you'll just have to drive an hour and a half every day to come train. And you're going to have two training sessions a day. And it's going to really we play on turf every day too. you know, it might grind down your knees, but there's an opportunity that you could sign professionally. And then the kids go to the parents, mom, dad, you got to do this. We had to like, this is my chance, this, that, and the other. Great. Amazing. What we want to do is capture some of that energy and say, okay, so if that does happen, how do we start from that moment forward, building a future for yourself, building a future for the generations after you? And I think when we can, it's all about like the timing of when we are able to kind of like bring ourselves into a person's experience, you know, because for me, social sports was uh, at first, you know, it was more so for the, you know, MLS player who might be into their career, maybe it's not like making a lot of money, but, you know, has a local community, has an opportunity to get endorsements just for like little um, necessary things, water, you know, monthly supply of water, you know, hey, send me a cool backpack and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll set a post for you. And through that process and gaining a network and understanding just how deep and intricate we could take it to the point where now it's, okay, how do we set guys up on financial plans? How do we expose them to financial literacy programs? What kind of recovery and performance at, uh, you know, products am I using? How can we help these kids, these younger athletes, make sure that when they're at my point, in my age, not only have they, you know, put uh, a life plan, right, in, in place, but they're also maximizing the potential of their body by, you know, putting the right things in it and then also utilizing the various methods there are out there to really, um, you know, keep themselves healthy, prime and also just like mentally in a good space that's great and now did the social sports idea did that come from uh kind of interactions you had when you were younger or more from interactions you wish you had and guidance you wish you had when you were a younger player all of it all of it my but the biggest things was when i was younger i i'm very fortunate for my my family my father he's an education man And even when I was doing well in soccer, he continuously kept me humbled and grounded by expressing me the importance of education. Now, the problem is the educational system focuses simply on a curriculum that's there for you to regurgitate the information. You pass, you keep going. They're not telling you how to balance a checkbook. They're not telling you what it's going to be like in, you know, the first loan for your first home. You know, and I found myself later in my career struggling to deal with all these things, but then also not being at the salary price point to where I could just pawn it off to somebody else. Right. So it was just like a trekking through the mud and it was bringing me into my own relative depression, right? My relative dark time. Because yes, I got to play the sport that I love, but then I'm coming home tired trying to figure out my taxes, you know, trying to figure out why this mortgage payment didn't go through when the money's in the, in the account, but maybe I didn't set it up right, you know, or I'm five years into my career and I got nothing in savings because, you know, I'm trying to look fresh to keep up with the Joneses, if you will. You know, there's so many different aspects of my personal experience that led 
to uh, with my co-founder, a guy, Gene Daniels, led to us coming together because he was the guy who didn't get to make it in soccer and had to use his brain, you know, and it was a cool little meshing of both of our experiences to where we were able to find like a, a nice middle ground to uh, develop a, a launch pad for not just a 16 year old kid, but the 33 year old who's coming towards the end of their career and hasn't really thought about what they're going to do, you know, when they're done. Uh, so interesting. And so if you, uh, if you are an athlete, if you know an athlete, if you're just interested in hearing more about what CJ is doing with that, you can check that out at teamsocialsports.com. Oh Listen, yeah. CJ, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate, yeah, appreciate it. it. And uh, good luck. Uh, good luck in the next, uh, in the next few ga- weeks and months with, uh, with Nashville. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate y'all having me and allowing me to, you know, talk y'all's heads off and yeah looking forward to what the future holds for all of us i believe uh we're moving into a time uh society and globally where you know there's a lot of friction but there's also a lot of opportunity and there's information everywhere and you know you guys having platforms like this giving other guys like me the opportunity to you know express the the various methods there are to maximizing potential is a beautiful thing and uh, again, thank you all. Hope you have a good one. Awesome. So thank you again so much, CJ Zapong, for joining us. Uh, that was great stuff. Mike, tell the people where, if they want more CJ, they can follow him on social media. Yes, if you're on Instagram, it's at CJ Sapong, C-J-S-A-P-O-N-G. And on the Twitter, at Big Africa 88 that is spelled A-F-R-I-K-A-88. Follow CJ. Uh, plenty of great stuff on social media. And as always, uh, we do appreciate his time today. And Go Nashville. That's right. And uh, one more time for the stuff, uh, thesacredseeds.org for the Sacred Seeds, the uh, the great nonprofit. And for uh, the stuff he's doing with young athletes, check out teamsocialsports.com. Now, Mike, since we spent a lot of time on Nashville and CJ, we're going to jump right into the Tomas Calientes, the hot takes of the week. Go through the uh, our hottest takes on the games, rapid fire. And uh, let's start with where you want to start. Orlando City, the new beast of the East, won nothing over the Chicago Fire. And we're back! Orlando City jumped 10 spots to reach 7th place in the latest MLS power rankings. I still have no idea how MLS does their power rankings. It totally confuses me. Anyway, they they, they beat the Chicago Fire and Gagas Lonina. Won nothing uh, this past weekend. They have moved now... Where have they moved? They have moved to 2nd place in the East, Tim. Things change so fast in the MLS. I absolutely love it. That's 10 points. Still five points adrift of uh, the Philadelphia Union who are just, you know, marauding themselves through through MLS play right now. But it is absolutely amazing that OC is back after one week when I thought that they were dead and they lost Antonio Carlos. It's, it's just, it's it's crazy. It's great. I love every second of it. Uh, match was highlighted by a vintage Alexander Pato performance. Quite, quite. He has was named, uh, you love him, the duck. He was named to the bench uh, MLS team of the week, the bench edition. Why don't we just call it the second team? Why do we have to call it the bench? I don't agree with that. Another thing, MLS put that on the tally board. Uh, the Brazilian nabbed the primary assist on the lone goal when he a neatly headed a free kick back across goal for Urkan Kara to dispatch. Outside of that, like I said, the Duck took a team-high eight shots, completed two dribbles, and was generally the Lions' most dangerous player in the attacking third. He constantly got into to dangerous areas, looked capable of making something happen basically every time he had the ball, and I love seeing Pato and Kara on the pitch at the same time. We talked about this early before the season started that Oscar Pereja needed to make this happen, needed to get these two goal threats uh, on the pitch at the same time, and he has. Uh, Pato probably will need to rest more so than, you know, a traditional guy. Um, I, you know, even though he's not old by any standard, he is 32 and he has a litany of injuries uh, to, to that have sustained in the past. But I hope that Pereja can build some consistency with his lineups, especially losing Carlos uh this team's just got to get more consistent. And um, again, one nothing is nothing to, to sneeze at because uh, Gagas Lanina was and is fantastic. Uh, Chicago just doesn't score, and they were missing Jadon Shakiri in the midfield. So um, they're a confusing team. Orlando City is a little less confusing this week because, like we said, second place. 
Yeah, and so just uh, real quick, we'll revert to our Keeper FC podcast, the alternate podcast we do here. Nothing Gaga could do on that goal. He had to chase a defender who was running wide open through the box, and uh, the ball, he just missed the ball when he jumped up. So, uh, you know, Gaga is still uh, a fantastic keeper, even after uh, letting up that goal, even though with all the clean sheets to his name this season. And, you know, Chicago is just disappointing. They, they should yeah. be better. No Shakiri this weekend. But 68% possession for Orlando City to 32 for Chicago. 21 shots to 7 for Chicago. Uh, Listen, earmuffs, Mike. Uh, Orlando City is a good team. They're not a great team by any means. You shouldn't be dominated like that. Uh, by, by Orlando City and and look all credit to Orlando City they're moving up the table they they got the points and they're looking good like you said building that consistency is something they seem to be doing but still haven't fully committed to I do believe if they can kind of figure that out uh, they, they really have a, a great chance to make the playoffs and even to get a high seed in the playoffs so don't want to take anything away for Orlando but Chicago come on what are you doing and yeah. speaking of come on what are you doing New England Revolution 2, Inter-Miami 3, Mike, we pledged last week we were going to never talk about Inter-Miami again until they won a game. And what do they do? They come back and they steal uh, a a one-goal victory over the New England Revolution. What the heck? Yeah, my question for you rings so true even more so when I asked. I said, hey, Tim, who's more disappointing, New England or Miami? And you were like, well, probably, you know, New England Miami because they're so bad. Well, I think the tables have turned, my friend, because we have our answer. It's New England. Miami, congratulations on your first win. You, you beat a terrible New England team. After six contests, both Eastern Conference teams are tied on four points. Four points. And yes, this was a shocking, shocking outcome considering Miami's recent journey through the dumps of uh, the, the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Um, but again, it's all on the revs, man. I mean, this is a record-setting supporter Shield winning team from last year that still has their MLS MVP and Carlos Heel still has Bruce Arena. What happened? You cannot have just gotten that old that fast. Um, one thing I will say that is a very, very good thing for Inter-Miami is maybe they found a goal scorer. Um, Leandro Campagna, match winner, was this, had a six-goal let in after the 75th minute. Um, this guy looks really, really good, really bright. I don't really know where he's been all season, but clearly um, the Neville brother needs to play him and, and consistently get him out there. And and on the other side of the ball, we see that Matt Turner's absent, con- his absence continues to be felt. Um, Earl Edwards just not doing it. The defensive back line is just old. Uh, and Matt Turner, again, is not going to be there that much longer. He's headed to London and to Arsenal in June. So uh, it, it could, it's not going to get any better anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, Miami, first ever hat trick scored. I, the first time they've scored three goals since October of last year. What? Like, how does – I don't understand. And and the sad part is in Bruce Arena, all his years of, of coaching and all the great things he's done, this is the first time in his long, illustrious career that his team has lost four games in a row. Revs fans, you've got to be sick. They absolutely do. And uh, all I have to say is, Campania, look what happens when you put a spry 21-year-old up top instead of a washed 34-year-old even if that was 34-year-old's name, is Gonzalo Higuain, and uh, he had a great career in Europe. Um, they, they, they just might have saved uh, Phil Neville's job by, uh, by putting on this, uh, this clinic against New England Revolution, who was just giving up goals in bunches. This is terrible. And like, uh, like a famous uh, very good college and very poor NBA coach once said, uh, to paraphrase, Matt Turner is not walking through that door uh, anytime soon after he leaves for Arsenal here. So... I don't know what's going on. And, you know, you asked me which team is most disappointing uh, last podcast. So I'm going to turn around on you. You've been uh, campaigning for Phil Neville to be sent packing back to England. Right now, like, who's more likely to be fired, Bruce Arena or Phil Neville? Um, I don't think I don't think New England would do the injustice of firing Arena. I think he would resign um you know it's like a it's like a bill belichick type of move you're never gonna fire that you know him weird they play in the same stadium um but yeah if anything that he'd say you know i'm gonna step away from the game and then he'll end up popping up two years from now to coach the men's national team that's just the way that this thing works but anyway yeah uh very disappointing these are just two teams both going in the wrong direction i don't care who wins this who won this game yeah, and that's uh, that. That's true. It's it was a, it was a tire fire. And uh, one correction: uh, the only way Arena is going to coach the national team is if he's Pep Guardiola's uh, assistant oh, in 2026. But you. uh, you're starting that. You've got. I digress. You've been in sports to say this. So okay, I, I'm I'm for it. That's fine. 
All right, so let's uh, let's get uh, to Pep's adopted hometown of New York, uh, where the New York Red Bulls again another disappointment, uh, both in my wallet and uh, on the scoreboard here. Uh, New York Red Bulls one, CF Montreal two. Mike, what happened? You, you remember Lewis Morgan when he scored that hat trick? Like, doesn't ring no, a bell. no, that never happened, did it? I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Morgan has been used more often as a wingback in um, the Red Bulls head coach Gerard Strube, uh, which doesn't work. Uh, I know Struber wants to play a three, five man defensive line rather than a more conventional four man line in most games. But Morgan himself literally came out this week and said, it's no secret. He prefers playing more directly in the attacking third. So the four, two, three, one formation used by Struber was particularly, and I'm going to say this as kindly as I can neutering to Morgan's talents. Okay. Toronto game in which Morgan scored a hat trick, which was the game that he played and scored a hat trick he was playing as a left wing featuring two strikers offering reference points creating space for morgan to slash in I, the guy played at celtic this guy has a lot of talent that yeah. is being wasted kind of like at inter miami um so perhaps a formation change when ashley fletcher gets fit enough um i don't know but morgan needs to move back to left wing for this team to score goals and win games that's my hot take it's not really a hot take it's just the fact of the matter yeah, and uh, that, that's very true. And listen, uh, on, on the other side, if you if you watch no other MLS, just tune in for the second half of Montreal CF games because they are incredibly exciting. Usually uh, Montreal chokes up a big lead, but this time uh, they came back and won the game. And uh, one more kind of keeper FC note. As a fan of keepers who are great on the ball, I've watched Ederson uh, just kind of master this during his time uh, at Manchester City uh, being on the ball. And I've also seen guys in the Premier League like Thibaut Courtois and Loris Karius just absolutely butcher uh, plays. The the game-losing muff by uh, New York Red Bulls keeper Carlos Coronel was absolutely brutal. I don't know. I mean, you need to hang your head in shame after a, being that far out of the net. He only, he only got to play that ball because the guy tried to pop it over his head. And uh, he misplayed it completely, got the ball stolen from him, and... Uh, the rest, they say, is history. So ugly stuff from the Red Bulls. Uh, pretty stuff from the Philadelphia Union, who won again, one nothing over the Columbus Crew. Mike, uh, your pick to win the East, Columbus, or uh, excuse me, Philadelphia over Columbus. What do you have to say? Yeah, fifth straight win for the Union, uh, having conceded in 418 minutes dating back to March 5th. No one in the league can boast a better goals against record. There's only three teams that have a more prolific in front of goal action. Uh, Jack Elliott made the MLS team of the week and keeper Andre Blake made again, the bench team of the week. We're going to change that right here. We're going to say second team. Uh, he made four save. Yeah. Four saves, including a free kick stop against Lucas Zeller. Hey, he's back. He's not hurt anymore. So that's good news. Um, but here's my, here's my issue with Philly and I love them. I picked them. I'm, I'm not moving off of that. Like, other co-hosts on this show um they don't have a prolific scorer on this team and that is the only thing that could derail their championship mm -hmm. aspirations I, I, that it does worry me because again blake is awesome he's an mvp candidate but in crunch time where are those goals going to come from it's not alejandro bedoya because he kind of after the first couple games of the season and i will give you credit for for calling that but it's the only thing that worries me and i know a jim Curtin team never really had a, a quote-unquote although cj sapong did play there for a number of years and did. did play really really well for them so maybe you know maybe they shouldn't let them go but anyway uh it's just a lot of pressure on defense and as we've talked about all season with nashville a lot of times it, it can expose you at the back and, and um, not that Philly's there, but it could happen as we continue to move deeper into the season. Yeah, that's fair. And look, I don't need to beat the dead horse of the crew need more from someone other than Zell Rayon. Cause we talk about that every week, but they do. Uh, and yeah, as for Philly, look, I mean, you kind of can't have it both ways. You can't say like, Oh, you know, Columbus needs uh, someone other than Zell Rayon, but then say, you know, Philly doesn't have one guy they rely on. So they're kind of getting it from everywhere. They're not getting a lot from everywhere, but, uh, but they are getting it. So, you know, I, I get that in, in a bit too, but listen, as for Philly, I said last week, I'll move them up or down in the rankings, our power rankings based on kind of what happens in El Trafico and, and how Philly plays this week. Cause I had LAFC in first, uh, after that game, Philly's now my number one. I got to give it up right now in the power rankings. They are, uh, they're playing the best in the MLS and, you know, again, it might not be, uh, the most beautiful stuff on earth, but, uh, it gets the three points every time. And that's all you can ask for. Speaking of which El Trafico, LA galaxy two, LAFC one. What was your thought on this, uh, fascinating game? 
Yeah, it was okay. I mean, you know, a pair of very tight and very controversial offside decisions chalked yeah. up two goals uh, in the defeat uh, in this somewhat entertaining edition of El Trafico. Um, you know, and rubbing salt in LAFC's wounds is a story of expected goals, my fave. 2.02 for Steve Chirundolo's side and 1.01 for the host. Ouch, that's got to hurt. Um, that narrow offside call against Carlos Vela in the 28th minute. Was it? Was it Dickens. not? It would have leveled the game at 1-1 after Javier Chicharito, my MVP, opened the scoring in this, the first time these Mexican superstars have met in the MLS. Kind of hard to believe, but that is true. Hot take, LAFC can't touch the Galaxy in Carson. And yes, that's California. Kind of Los Angeles. A little bit outside. Not that close. Um, they're now five wins, zero losses, and two draws on home turf against their younger neighbors. And if you see the result as further proof that they are headed in the right direction in year two under Greg Vanny, that's all you really need to see. Again, these teams play again on July 8th in downtown L.A., actually downtown L.A. That's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Um, we will know well before then if these two teams are you know, still up there in the power rankings. But, I, you know. I think I mean, they will be. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think they will too. But, I mean, how frustrated were you by a lot of these calls? Yeah, it was ridiculous. You know, we rail against VAR uh, when bad stuff happens to our teams. And so, you know, I don't have the the kind of gumption to really get up in arms against neutral teams. <laughs> you know, the, the NYCFC uh, goals and penalties have been taken away in the last couple of weeks have been ridiculous. So yeah. uh, I'm kind of all out of vile or, uh, you know, vile words for that. But, you know, this El Trafico was, it was exciting, uh, you know, especially at the end, there was a lot of action. There was a lot of goals, although some were called back. Um, and with, with the loss, like I said, I'm moving Philly over LAFC, but because of the calls, I thought the team's, were pretty evenly matched. So, and I, and I, I do think ultimately LAFC is, is the better team this year. And so I'm not ready to move uh, the galaxy. who We both had in third in our power rankings uh, over LAFC. So uh, I'm actually coming around to your way of thinking where it was Philly, LAFC and LA galaxy as uh, as the top three teams. Again, we are uh, always, always open to uh, amending, especially myself uh, when it comes to power rankings. But, Mike, I'm going to take a, a, a real hard pass on this next game. Anything to say about Real Salt Lake 2, Toronto FC 2? It was a game. Um, after winning three straight against Seattle, New England, and Nashville, Real Salt Lake have dropped points to Sporting, Colorado, and now Toronto after their 2-2 draw. That is the sign of a mediocre team at best, one that will be hard-pressed to make the playoffs, Tim. Yeah, good. Uh, that was words about a game. Uh, FC Dallas 3, Colorado Rapids 1. Uh, Jesus Ferreira had a game, Mike. Tell us about it. A brace. That's two. Put it in the book. He played a full 90 minutes, a 3-1 win. What more can you ask from this guy? The last time uh, he started for FC Dallas, he bagged a hat trick. He is on fire. The United States men's international is heating up and Dallas looks dangerous. Should Ferreira keep up this pace, he is going to force Greg Berhalter's hand for the starting number nine position come World Cup time. Why? Because no other strikers anywhere in the world that currently are have a U.S. citizenship or visa or green card are doing anything that this young man is doing. And we asked this question to CJ Sapong. What is more important, playing or, or you know, playing on a team that may not necessarily playing, but being on a team where you're going to get first, you know, a little bit of action, um, you know, pool of six and the, the you know, reigners of the world. And you'll have to watch the interview for that. But yeah, I'm coming around here. Jesus Ferreira looks the real deal. I hope he stays consistent because that, that he's exactly what the, the U S men's national team needs. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I've been saying it for a while now. Ferreira should be the U S men's national team. Number nine, uh, the European players face better competition, but the MLS guys are playing. And that's what counts in a World Cup year specifically, is guys who are on the pitch and out there doing things. And, uh, you know, Ferrer's just been so impressive. We I talked about him pressing early in the year. And ever since he stopped that, which also coincided with Alan Velasco uh, coming on the pitch, the incredible 19-year-old who's been uh, nothing short of awesome in, in his time, short time in the MLS uh, but but now the goals are coming easily. They're coming within the flow of the game. He's he's making better decisions uh, as kind of a, a team-based striker rather than a guy really out for his own. And and he's being rewarded uh, with, with goals. So that's uh, you can't say enough about what Jesus Ferrer is doing right now. Yeah, and we'll just talk real quick about the Colorado Cronkies because Tim, you know, was so enamored with them to begin the season. Um, they nearly doubled up Dallas in possession. Uh, they doubled the host's chances created and more than doubled the shots. Uh, doubled in the shots category, yet their offense 
is as dull as a butter knife cutting through a ribeye, my man. It is That's fair. awful, awful. Colorado has scored more than uh, only one goal on two occasions this season. No bueno, no bueno, no bueno. All right, Houston Dynamo 4, San Jose Earthquake 3. Lots of goals, very little of interest, so we're moving on there. To Portland Timbers 3, Vancouver Whitecaps 2. This was uh, the late game on Saturday night. Got home late, watched this whole game. It was uh, It was really interesting, you know. I thought the Whitecaps actually played a really nice possession-based style of game. They kind of fell apart in the final third and didn't really get uh, good chances. And when they get the chance they did get, they didn't capitalize on. Possession was actually 50-50, although because of where the possession was and kind of how it played out, it seemed like Vancouver had more. But they had 17 shots to uh, Portland's five. And so they just really need a finisher to come in there and, and, and find, uh, find the back of the net for them. And as far as uh, Portland goes... You know, Portland at this point is really strictly a counterattacking team. Uh, they're a very dangerous, very good counterattacking team. But when you get outshot 17-5 to and, and you're lucky enough to score three goals and the other team only scores two, that's great. That's against a Vancouver Whitecaps team whose defense isn't, uh, isn't all that great. And when Portland runs into the better teams in the league, the L.A. teams, uh, Seattle, you know, Philly, some of the other East Coast teams, uh, it's going to be a problem. So as much as this was a nice win for Portland, uh, it makes me nervous long-term. As it should. And I think that Portland should go out and find if there are any more Chara brothers. Just the whole They need many, Chara many Charas in order to score more goals. Uh, Mike, now we get to your – the club that you thought could be the bottom feeder this year, and they are now the best team in the MLS – uh, fact check that for me, but I'm pretty sure oh. Charlotte FC one Atlanta United zero, the expansion team getting the win. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Good for them. I'm not a huge Orlando uh, United, Atlanta United, Manchester United. I'm not a huge Atlanta United guy yeah, just because it, stink. it was like a fake made up rivalry with Orlando at one time. But anyway, um, I, I said it, I said it a number of weeks ago and I believe you called me out and I'm going to say again, Brad Guzan is slipping, man. Yeah. He, his inability to stop that Jordi Alcivar shot uh, was the game in a nutshell. It was an ugly game. Atlanta, his past four games have now been decided by one goal or fewer, and their goal differential is exactly, drumroll please, zero. Zero after six games played. That That's not good. Joseph Martinez, where have you gone? Um, and, and and you know what? You're right. Uh, Charlotte, after you know suffering that 96-minute defeat to Atlanta a couple weeks ago, they've won three or four. The only loss coming against the uh, league-leading Philadelphia Union. So I, I give it up to them. They, they're playing really well. They're, they're, they're fun to watch. I think Ben Bender's great. Carol Swiderski, um, Lewandowski light. I, there's a lot going on in the light there. And their coach is, gives the greatest sound bites of MLS history. Yes, that is true. But, Mike, you're underselling it. Charlotte's in fifth place. They're in the playoffs if the season ended today, which, of course, uh, we are very far from the season ending. But uh, let's just say if it ended today. They're in fifth place. Look, they have a negative two goal differential. So you're complaining about Atlanta's zero goal differential. The uh, negative two is worse for those uh, math majors out there. But, uh, look, it's still impressive for an expansion team. Uh, they, They have a good coach. They've built a decent roster, even though the coach called it crap or called it, you know, doo-doo or something uh, early in the season. Uh, and they they have stuff to build on, like you said, Bender, Swiderski, all there. Um, and if they can get that goal differential under check, into check, they can they can be a playoff team. So, uh, you know, I don't think uh, they're, they're fifth and rising with a bullet. But, you know, the fact that they're in the playoffs, uh, don't be surprised you see them there at least for a little while longer. And, and who knows what will happen at the end of the season. Uh, and I think this is uh, last but not least here, or maybe last and least, Austin FC 1, Minnesota United 0. What, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? No team has scored more goals in the MLS this season than Austin. But, 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 here's a huge but. Its average of a goal a game over its past four is probably more indicative of what the second-year club will look like when this season comes to an end. Color me unimpressed, especially by the team that I believe you've been ro- like rooting, rooting for the past couple of weeks. The underrated Minnesota. is what I've been calling them. Underrated. Yeah, they're, they're underrated for a reason. Um, although this is the first time that the Loons have been shut out this season, their five goals from six games has them dead last in goals scored in the MLS. Again, it's weird. You have to score goals to win. I don't understand why that's the thing. Um, their chance creation and XG stats are average or worse across the board, and that's not a good sign for a team whose three DPs and lone under-22 initiative player are all attacking. 
Oh boy, this this is this is going to turn out to be an Inter Miami situation, isn't it? Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, look, it was one game. Uh, and, yeah, Austin FC, uh, that stat is really misleading. They had 10 goals in their first two right. games. And uh, now you can throw that out completely. And uh, this is really who they are. Again, they got the three points, so you can't complain there. But uh, they should uh, – they, they got to figure out a way to kind of find that early season magic. And it can't yeah. just be playing Inter-Miami. And, and who was the second game? Cincinnati maybe. Or, you know, playing those two, te- two, two teams every game. Uh, they have to be a better solution than that. To find uh, to find that those multiple goals, so that's it for Tomas Calientes. Uh, a couple more things before we wrap up here, Mike. You have a potent quotable from uh, the New York Red Bulls manager. Curious, curious quote. Perhaps it's because he's Austrian. Perhaps because he doesn't know the answer. But he asked the question in his quote, which always concerns me. So Garrett Struber, New York Red Bull coach, on his team's second half collapse against Montreal CF. He says, quote, for 30 minutes, I'm 100% happy with the boys, but the game is not 30 minutes. This is true. It's 90 minutes. In many other ways, we are not always sharp in what we want. And I think this is today the biggest question for me. Here we go. Why we are not 100% ready? And why are we not leaving everything on the field like the games before? Question mark? I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> that, that sounds like, I mean, that's when, when people ask, why is the team not ready? That sounds like a coaching issue. So it's oh, interesting yeah. that the manager is uh, mm-hmm. is calling that out. And also, the the other weird thing to me about this quote is that you know usually you get this quote where it's like, oh, I was I was happy with the boys for eighty nine minutes. It was just that one last minute where we fell apart. He said he was happy for thirty minutes, and for the next hour he was unhappy with that with how they played. So I don't know where you go from there. Yeah, I think I think they sh- he's probably hoping that they break the game up into quarters. Um, yeah. And we just we just played three played three quarters. I mean, yeah, I don't know where to go with this. I think it's great. I love when English is not our first language and we give ridiculous quotes because it just makes them that much more ridiculous. But I hope Garrett Struber figures it out because they're still the best team in New York. Burn! Whoa, that's not cool. The uh, yeah. big big uh, second leg of the uh, Concacaf Champions League tonight with uh, Seattle has a, what, a 3-2 uh, aggregate lead right now? and uh, I don't know. The only Champions League that matters is, is currently going on. It's I believe your team is playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Man City, Atletico Madrid. So uh, yeah. we'll see how that turns out. But, uh, mm-hmm. Mike, uh, last segment we do here every day is betting on football is fun, at least for you, not for me. Uh, you went on a 5-2 and two heater last week to bring your record to 17-13. and 13. You had wins from uh, Philadelphia, Dallas, Houston, Nashville and Portland, uh, LAFC and uh, Real Salt Lake let you down, but uh, that uh, that you're, you're four games over 500, so you can't complain about that. Myself, I was two and four. Uh, first of all, I need to learn how to read better. I didn't see that Seattle Sounders and Cincinnati was moved because of uh, oh, aforementioned yeah. uh, Concacaf Champions League. But whenever that does come around, I'll still pick the Sounders. So uh, we'll save that for later. I was two and four. Wins from Dallas and Portland. Uh, and then losses for New England, LAFC, Chicago Fire, and the Red Bulls. That brings me to uh, slightly under 513 and 16 on the year. But we pick seven games every week. So uh, all I need is one big week to get back in it. But Mike, uh, maybe I'll just copy you because you're on such a heater. But no, let's, uh, let's give, give, give the people your seven games this week that you're watching and uh, laying a few ducats down on. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing with house money, Tim, you're going to go out on a limb here. And this is what I'm doing. I'm taking some pretty big spreads because if we if I win, if you listen to me, we're, we're going we going Sizzler. Anyway, I'm taking Orlando City because we back. Number two in the East, plus 340 over Columbus, the Columbus team that doesn't score. So take Orlando City plus 340. Then I'm taking Dallas, my new favorite team, pulling the Tim, plus 330 over the New York Red Bulls. Yeah, do it. Philly, how is Philly getting plus 155 over Toronto? That's ridiculous. Take Philly. I'm taking the Galaxy. How are they getting plus 230? Maybe I've got the wrong odds. I don't know. Galaxy, plus 230 over Chicago. I don't have the DraftKings. Sounders, negative 175 because they're playing Miami. And and if I know anything about Inter-Miami, it's that last week was a fluke. It had to be. Although the New England team is really bad as well. Take RSL getting plus 450, Tim. Sorry, over your NYCFC because, again, CONCACAF, tiredness, flights. There's a lot going on there, and you're getting 450 with RSL. They need to rebound after last week. And then I'm going back to LAFC. I forgot to write down who they're playing, but it doesn't matter because they're coming back. 
they're oh especially that it should be negative 375 <laughs> double down double play yeah yes exactly take lafc because they also have to uh, get some retribution after losing to their uh el trafico rivals so where are you going with your picks tim so I am. Uh, I have a couple of the same as you, a couple different. Um, I'm definitely going to go on DraftKings instead of FanDuel because your odds on almost all of these are better. So uh, I will go. Uh, I will find open my DraftKings uh, app and, and go with that instead of uh, instead of the FanDuel. But right now, FC Dallas plus three ten over New York Red Bulls again. FC Dallas just one of the hottest offensive teams right now. Red Bulls disappointing. Same with Philly Union, one of the best team in the league, plus one forty somehow over Toronto FC. LA Galaxy keeps the good times rolling against the very disappointing Chicago Fire at plus 220. Uh, a big favorite, but worth it. Seattle Sounders are going to uh, crush Inter-Miami's uh, week-long celebration. I'm sure those guys are out on South Beach right now uh, celebrating their win, and they're not going to be ready for the game this weekend. Celebrating like the Minnesota Timberwolves last night in the <laughs> playing game. And that yeah, Twitter is just, uh, wow. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, Google it. It's great. Twitter is fun when it's not your team yeah. that uh, gets really crushed is. like that. Uh, and then uh, Portland Timbers plus 230. Uh, I, you know, again, I told you they're going to be in trouble against uh, good teams. Houston Dynamo is not a good team. So Portland Timbers will take that. Yeah, I know they beat the San Jose Earthquakes. But uh, speaking of the Earthquakes, take CJ Sapong in Nashville plus 135 over said Earthquakes. And last but not least, uh, another favorite, LAFC. I have minus 190. So again, minus 175 is better uh, if uh, you think they're going to win against Sporting KC, which both Mike and I do. So there it is. That wraps up the uh, episode seven of the MLS Soccer Show. Uh, I think that's the number here. Mike, uh, tell the people where they can find us, where they can follow us, and all that good stuff. If you want to watch us, you can do it on Facebook, ML Soccer Show, or you can do it on YouTube. It's the whole name. It's MLS Soccer Show. If you want to tweet us, you want to Instagram us. I don't know if that's really a thing, but you do it at ML Soccer Show. Um, and again, we want to thank CJ, CJ Sapong for taking some time out of his busy schedule to come and uh, talk to us two foolish soccer fans about all things MLS and some of the wonderful things that he's doing outside of the game. Um, just, a, just a really great guy, and uh, he's really doing a lot for you know everyone. I mean, human nature, people. Gener- I mean, good stuff. it's just it's, it's a great thing to hear, and uh, there's hopefully uh, it would continue to to spread forward and um, catch on because we need more of that in this world. Perfect. That's exactly the perfect way to wrap it up. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.